horror fans, PT above the Lasser cast, and we are on our road to Evil Dead Rise, which comes out April 21st. And so me and my partner in crime, who has a shirt that's very telling, are here to talk about Darkman. Danny, why the heck would we pick Darkman if we're talking about Evil Dead? Uh, well, because it was directed by Sam Raimi. Mm -hmm. uh, it stars... Well, it, I don't want to say it stars. It has cast members who are Evil Dead associates. Uh, Bruce Campbell has a cameo. Uh, Bruce Campbell was actually pitched by Sam Raimi to play Darkman, right. which I think would have made it for a very different movie. I agree. Uh, Ted Raimi, of course, plays uh, an essential character in this movie. Yes. And this is... One of mine, and I think one of your favorite films, mm -hmm. and it's early Sam Raimi. It's a crazy movie. We reviewed uh, Drag Me to Hell mm -hmm. last weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're kind of getting to Evil Dead Rise by way of the Evil Dead 2013 remake quote thing, which we both really liked. Yep. Uh, and then kind of piecing together through some of Sam Raimi's films. Uh, yes. Even though Sam Raimi obviously does not direct Evil Dead Rise, uh, that right. is Lee Cronin, uh, it's still building up to Evil Dead. And plus, it just gives us a chance to talk about freaking Darkman because it's so good. Yes, that is the best thing about this road to Evil Dead Rise is that every single movie we've talked about has been like a really fun, enjoyable movie so far. Yeah. So there hasn't been any kind of tough movie to get through. We're like, oh, well, we're going to get through this one next. Each one has been a pleasure. So let's talk about why this movie is a pleasure. It came out in 1990, right after uh, the Tim Burton Batman movie. And you can clearly see connections to that movie. I mean, most notably is the Danny Elfman score, which makes it feel like it's a sequel to Batman in some kind of way. Or like maybe Batman and Darkman are going to team up. But uh, the reason why this movie exists is because Sam Raimi tried to get the rights for The Shadow, and he was rejected. And so he ended up writing a script for his own superhero, The Dark Man. And um, he was very much inspired by uh, Universal Studios horror movies from the 1930s. And I got to tell you, like the most obvious one is clearly the, the Invisible Man, right? With like the gauze on his face and like, you know, the kind of the hat and the coat. But... Um, just in general, doesn't this movie feel like half goofy superhero movie, half like universal monster movie? Yeah, it's a hundred percent. I, uh, it, it, this movie, we, we kind of alluded to this, um, off air when we were recording our yellow jackets review, uh, yeah. for episodes one and two of the new season, which you can watch now on the channel, like, and subscribe. And, uh, <laughs> and we, you know, we were, talking about like oh i can't wait till we get to talk about dark man because this is like the i i said to you i know why you love this movie because you, you are the biggest comic book fan that i know and this is the best comic book movie ever made that is not actually based off of a comic if that yeah. makes sense uh, I think it, does, yeah. it, it is inspired as you said by comic characters it's inspired by these you know definitely the invisible man uh which is 
probably my favorite of the that and Bride of Frankenstein are my favorite of the original Universal monster movies. Okay. Uh, so I just I love every ounce of this movie. I love how <laughs> goofy it is. I love how graphically violent it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the the way Remy uses uh, like these insane pull-ins um, to like inside Peyton Westlake's mind as it's like snapping before he goes crazy. <laughs> right. I I love the you know the traditional Remy camera cuts. I, I like the way he films certain things to make Darkman feel like Batman in a way. Yes, I wrote yes. this. I, I wrote this down. It feels like this is 1989's Batman, right? Except if the Joker origin story was used to create a good guy. Oh, that's a good little metaphor there. Like in, in in 1989, in Tim Burton's Batman, you have you know Jack Napier. Right, Jack Nicholson's mm-hmm. character right. is dropped into like a vat of acid, and like they he's forced to have this like basement surgery, <laughs> and he comes out looking like the Joker, and he he puts on the makeup to cover it up, but he's like hideously scarred from this like acid bath and botched surgery, and the Joker, of course, is a psychotic villain. What if that happened to a very good person, a scientist? What if that idea, like uh, the killing joke story, what if that happened to a scientist who was in a relationship, who's a totally really normal guy, and the, the, the scarring left him like out psychotically out for revenge, but he's a good guy. Right. That to me is what Darkman is, and I think everyone in this movie just plays it exactly to the level they need to play it at the the moments they need to play it. Like, yeah. at some points in this movie, Liam Neeson, you're looking at him and you're like, "Yeah, that's the great actor I know from Schindler's List and Rob Roy and and all these great movies and Nell." these great like dramatic films that he would make almost immediately after this. Right. And then there's Liam Neeson who would reinvent himself much later in his career as, you know, I have a certain set of skills. Right. And only that, but like turned up to 11, you have three fucking time Oscar winner, Francis McDormand. Actually, she's a four time Oscar winner, three time Best Actress winner, Frances McDormand, as like the love interest who's, you know, tied in with the bad guy. You have one of my favorite bad guys in movie history in Larry Drake's uh, Durant. And then he's not even the real bad guy. No. Because you have uh, Strank, right? Strank. Strack. Strack. Yeah. And played by Colin Friel's who watching this movie in 1990 well, watching this movie now knowing it was made in 1990 i'm just going to go out and say it i'm willing to bet Raimi based this character on donald trump that is really interesting that you said that because i was thinking just looking at his name 
Is he not Tony Stark? So what if what if the Joker was a good guy and what if Iron Man was the bad guy? I mean, I'm, I'm probably just thinking because of his name. He, he's sort of like flamboyant in the role, especially at the very end of the movie. And Tony Stark in the comics, which this would just be Tony Stark in the comics at this point, was a lot more subdued than the way that Robert Downey Jr. portrays him. So mm -hmm. it's probably not that, but I could see them when they're writing the script being like, all right, we got to come up with like an industrialist name because it's going to be like something industries, like Stark Industries. Okay, what about Strack Industries? You know, like I, I could see that. I yeah. just figured here's a uh, a, a mogul, uh, a real estate mogul yeah. who's trying to build large buildings in the city, right? Who's obviously into shady business, paying people, covering pe things up, right? And who else does that sound like, especially 1990 mm. when, yeah. I mean, Trump was at, you know, you know, way before politics and President Trump, he was New York real estate guy. You couldn't walk around in New York and New Jersey without seeing his name on everything. And given that and now all the timing of the indictment and everything, it just really feels, you know, it feels like somebody today found Trump's Belisarius memorandum. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you might be onto something there. It, it's interesting. Um, one of my uh, favorite episodes of Review by uh, the Red Letter Media guys is when they talk about this movie. They talk about Darkman for a whole episode. And they were saying that this uh, movie is very similar to uh, Robocop, right? Because I can totally Robocop see those comparisons also, yeah. Right, because you sort of have like the henchman bad guys who like mutilate the good guy in both movies, right? And then the good guy gets the revenge on them, and then eventually he goes after the corporate head guy. And in this case, it's the real estate guy, Strack. Um, but yeah, a lot of the points I'm going to make today are probably from that Red Letter Media video, so I definitely want to give them credit where credit's due. Um, I could definitely see the Trump comparison, though. Um, the movie itself. I think we should point out just how like kind of beautiful it looks too. It doesn't have the, um, you know, the artificial uh, architecture of the Batman movies. It, it very much looks like a modern, regular, everyday city. However, the shots themselves are like super gothic and interesting, especially towards the beginning when, uh, you know, Darkman is essentially created. Uh, there's some really, really beautiful fucking shots in this movie in the very yeah. beginning. I, I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I just wanted to make a because I actually, while I was rewatching this the other day, his whole, because you brought up Robocop, that whole, um, when he goes back to his lab after it's been blown up and he collects all of his things and he ends up going to that like broken down industrial park. Yeah, that's right out of the end of RoboCop. Like right. that's, uh, you know, Red from that '70s show, fighting uh, him and his gang fighting RoboCop. All this movie is missing is somebody getting like slimed in acid and melting on a uh, <laughs> when the car hits them. Yes, uh, yes. But yeah, no, that I, I could totally see that. Even the idea of like all the all of Durant's. Uh, gang have very distinctive personalities and all of the bad guys in RoboCop have very distinct personalities. Uh, 
so that's even uh, another connection. I could totally see that. Like, seriously, if you lined up RoboCop, Burton's Batman, and this, that is like the greatest triple threat movie experience you could have. Yes, yes. Like, special powered or like enhanced by technology, good guy, vigilante, just taking out bad guys that are very quirky and weird. And I think we should talk about Durant and his crew. So um, my first experience with this movie, back in the day, uh, my mom used to do this thing where I wouldn't be able to go see movies like this, but then she would tell me the story. And she she described the scene uh, in the very beginning with Durant and with the cigar, the cigar slicer, right? And I just pictured that in my little kid imagination. And I was like, oh man, that's fucked up, you know? And um, it's just so funny because no one has a costume on, but yet they are these sort of like Gotham-like villains. You know, you have the one guy who's missing the leg, who's then hopping around as they're shooting with his leg. You have Durant with his collection of fingers. You, you have, have Smiley. Smiley, who's like laughing like a hyena. But that's very Joker-esque, right? Um, but I just, I just really appreciated this group and their weird quirks. And um, when they were talking about the casting, uh, I knew about Larry Drake because as a kid, for some reason, I watched L.A. Law and he played like a special needs guy yeah. on L.A. Law. He won two Emmys for that. Right. And so I knew him from that. But then uh, uh, Sam Raimi didn't know about that. Like he didn't see that performance. He just liked him because of his audition and how subdued he played the character. And I think that that's totally on the money. I think that's what's really interesting about the character is he's not just constantly like yelling or acting silly. He's very like serious and straightforward, but yeah. never boring. It, it always menacing, but yeah. very subtle. Oh, so very menacing. Like even that opening scene. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll always forget the. I'll never forget the first time I saw this. Like, I I would mimic the 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 cigar cutting scene. He goes, you know, I have seven more points. Ah. And and the look on the guy's face, and that's a huge man. Yeah, like the, yeah. this like gangster who's trying to act tough in front of Durant and his crew yeah. and Durant and his crew take them out. Uh, there's also like just the way the movie opens with like this West Side Story-esque moment where all of this gangsters, goons go and disarm Durant's crew. And yeah. you see like nunchucks getting thrown on the floor. And you're like, what am I watching? Is this Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? Like right. what is happening? Yes. And then, of course, they rip off the guy's leg. It's a machine gun. And you're like, I'm in. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's Durant cutting fingers off. Yep. He, like, never – he never breaks a sweat. He He's very – I was reading on IMDb that they – he his character was, like, supposed to be ex-military. Yes, and that, And so, like, even the scenes in the helicopter where he's – shooting the guns he's like handling all the weapons he's not like uh you have to do my dirty work for me he's like the, he almost reminds me of if like the kingpin wasn't the kingpin you know he could have you know what i mean where he has that like imposing force where he will do it himself but he has a crew of guys to take care of like lower level things for him Yes, yes. So he, he does have that Wilson Fisk kind of vibe to him. Uh, oh, that, absolutely. Like, cool, calm, and collected, uh, 
And I, I just love how it goes from him, you know, with this like quiet, menacing force to Colin Friel Shrek, who is like as over the top and cartoonish, yeah. especially at the end where he's like, I, he's telling the story about how like he, he used to dance around on the, the uh, he used to go up to the top of the skyscrapers and like dance around the uh, on on the piles. It just absolutely insane, and he's like firing the nail gun. He's cackling like a hyena. Yeah. It it yeah, yeah, it's really good. Uh, like every character in this movie is so well defined, even in like the short time they have on screen sometimes. Right. Yeah, and so I think that like we're kind of already starting to go into these waters, but we should talk about how it really sets the foundation for Spider-Man, right? And really just like comic book movies in general, because um, you have these characters, these over-the-top villains, but like we said, it's already kind of like movies that have come before it, like Batman and Robocop, but there are shots and sequences in the, the movie that is like specific shots from some of the Spider-Man films by Sam Raimi. Like it's like, I mean, the one that's the most obvious to me. I know what you're going to say. Go for it. Is at the very end when Frances McDormand is falling and then she's caught by the part of the construction site, which that's just like the end of Spider-Man 3. Like, I think that literally happens to Mary I, Jane. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's a scene in every Spider-Man movie where, you know, damsel falls, Spider-Man swings down. The only difference here is it's Dark Man with like his freaking half burnt off face and his ragged teeth swinging yeah. like a crazy person uh and then doing like a swinging drop kick to yes. the bad guy yes oh uh, chef's kiss man is beautiful and so i think we should talk about like the connections between this and spider-man because like clearly this got him the spider-man job eventually and so like you have these sequences where you're seeing inside of uh peyton's mind and there's just these weird flashes of different things. It just sort of is like when Peter Parker gets bit by the spider mm -hmm. or like when his spider sense is going off. Um, there's this crazy shot after Peyton is like just beaten and tortured and burned to a crisp. And he goes flying out of a fucking exploding building. And you see Francis McDormand looking at that exploded building. And it just transitions to her standing there in shock to standing in front of a grave and it's it's kind of awkward and it feels dated but it's also kind of awesome too yeah uh there's also the scene at the end where uh not the end but uh when he kills the helicopter that whole sequence of him hanging onto the uh the the hook and swinging through i mean he's basically swinging through the cityscape which, Spider-Man, it also kind of yeah. feels like, especially ending with that crash, it feels like a precursor to Terminator 2. It feels like a precursor to The Matrix. There's so many, like, action movie sequences that I feel borrowed from that scene alone of, yes. you know, Darkman hanging from the hook and the bad guys thinking they're going to swing the, the good guy into a building. Yeah. Like, it just... Like, even he, he goes crashing into the office window, and, like, there's, like, the little joker. He's like, oh, pardon me, right. as he gets pulled out. Like, that, to me, feels almost Avengers-esque. 
Yes. Like yes, it I... feels like Joss Whedon like used that scene in the Avengers when like they're in the Battle of New York at the end. Yeah, uh, I did definitely see that. Um, one other thing, I don't want to. I want to make sure I don't forget this. But after he is burned and they escapes from the hospital, he finds a abandoned. He finds his you know burnt out lab and basically like restructures it. And that's just like Spider Man Two with Doctor. Oh, uh, Doc. Yeah, Doc Doc. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many so many comparisons. Um, you always bring up. I know you you always bring up, especially for like our horror channel. You always bring up the scene in uh, Spider Man Two where Doc Ock is like they're trying to remove the arms after he is like fused together, and that scene where he wakes up after that's very reminiscent of Dark Man in the hospital and the woman uh, who is uh, an uncredited. I think her name is Jenny Agutter. Uh, she was the girlfriend in American Werewolf in London. Oh, Love that's her. cool. Yeah. yeah, she's like this surgeon who is explaining in like a very quick little exposition dump that like you mentioned that scene where the building explodes and you just see his like burnt body go flying up. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. It's one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, they like find him and uh, he was so burned that they had to sever his nerves to prevent him from feeling all the pain. But now the problem is he can't feel pain. So without pain sensors, his emotions are out of control, which is what basically right. leads him to becoming the character that he is. Like he can handle so much damage and he's also like psychotically insane for revenge. And yes. the scene that stuck with me as a kid more than any scene in this movie mm. was the carnival scene. Oh, okay, okay. Where he bends the like the the the, the guy the teases carnival. him about the elephant, and again, it's that like crazy Spider-Man. Like the camera zooms in on him while there's like explosions going off in his mind. Right. And he just like grabs the guy's fingers and wrenches them in like this. It almost feels like the guy is made of silly putty. Right. And, oh, it's yeah. uh, that it, scene freaked me out as a kid. It, I'm really glad that you brought that up because I mean, that scene is pretty iconic. They show it randomly, like there's gifts of it and stuff on Twitter sometimes. Um, one scene that always stood out to me is, is a bit more subtle than that, but it's when he's doing his experimenting, he's trying to figure out how to like fix his face, get, get his mask to work longer, and um, his hand is by a flame and then his hand goes on fire and he doesn't even realize it. I think that's a great way to just show that like, you know, he doesn't feel pain and it just kind of emphasizes the tragedy. It, it's it's so great, like the music and then just the way he looks. It really is this sort of like, you know, Beauty and the Beast, uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, this kind of like this, this freakish guy that's just hiding out in an abandoned building. Um, or sleeping under the... a box in like a river puddle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's when he first get out, gets out of the hospital, and it's just torrential rain in the city. Yeah, I love that. But just to kind of go along with it, and also the key one, I, I totally forgot to mention this, but like the Phantom of the Opera. You know, that's like the most on the nose, right? Or the most lack of nose. Um, his physical makeup is really, really great, and uh, Liam Neeson does a fantastic job 
like talking through that. He's able to make his little teeth kind of go up and down. And he, you know, he's that little chuckle at one point, like towards the end. Uh, I just, I fucking, I love it. Liam, we should talk about Liam Neeson then too. Like Liam Neeson is just so unhinged in this. He, he kind of doesn't seem like Liam Neeson in any other movie. Like, can you think of any other character he's played that's as wacky as Darkman gets? No, I mean, he's uh, the uh, like even now he's I I don't want to say that he's gone into self parody, but like he does like play himself. He like so just to give you an example, he like showed up at a Rangers game the other night, a New York Rangers game at the Garden, and they like put him on the screen, and he like you know he kind of like acted like he was his character in Taken, you know, and it was like this like really funny moment. And I feel like, you know, he's either like the badass tough guy, like he is in Taken and all these like Taken since then, like he's done like all these like one word title. Yeah. Uh, movies. Like the, the gray nonstop. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and he's not at all like cackling mad in those movies. He's like angry and tough guy. Right, and then there's movies where he's like a, a phenomenal dramatic actor. Yeah, I, I know this is going to sound completely ridiculous, but the end. Have you ever seen Schindler's List? Of course, of course. So the end of Schindler's List, one of my favorite parts of any movie that I've ever seen, when he has his breakdown of yep. like I could have done more. Right. Yeah. To me, that there are parts of him like emotionally breaking down like when he after he like breaks that guy's arm and bends it all over his face starts to bubble and he like looks at francis mcdormand and has like this panic sadness of like uh -huh. yeah, yeah. and it reminded me like not even close to being the same movie of course but it reminded me of just that you know that like panic sadness at the end of Schindler's List where he's like I could have done more I could have done more I could have given my watch I could have and he he's it, it's it's funny because this movie came out in 1990 and three years later he's nominated for an Oscar for Schindler's List yeah. um, and 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 he's making all these like great dramatic movies I think he played Rob Roy uh, okay. I think he played Michael Collins. That's, like he, he's doing right. these like European like historical dramas. He does Nell with Jodie Foster, which is which was like I think she might have gotten an Oscar nomination for that. I don't remember, but it was like you know he he did that, uh, and and you know obviously after the tragedy involving his wife, he kind of went you know back to like the I'm just gonna make fun gritty action movies now yeah but yeah like he's fantastic and so francis mcdormand though did you read any of the imdb stuff where apparently I... so first of all i as big of a sam raimi fan as i am i didn't realize how close he was apparently with the cohen brothers that's right that's right that's right that's right and i didn't realize that according to imdb joel cohen was the editor or edited evil dead <laughs> so I, I'm like, wait I, a minute, what? 
I there didn't see a, that, but I thought that like didn't they all live together at one point? Apparently, like, yeah. yeah. And, uh, Joel Joel Cohen is married to Francis McDormand. They've been together right. for thirty something years. Right. So like Francis McDormand, I think was like a late replacement for the actress that they had. Right. And apparently, like Sam Raimi and her did not get along on set. No. Uh, and it's funny if if like you've paid attention to her, like despite like winning two Oscars in like the last five years, she always comes across as this, like uh, whenever there's like an award show, she always shows up. Like she doesn't have a fancy dress on and she's just like, all right, I'm here. Oh, I won. All right. Great. Thank you, Joel. I'll see you at home. Like she, yeah. she looks like she can't possibly be bothered. Right. Except right. when the camera starts rolling and she's Francis McDormand. Right. Uh, and I know you love the TV show Fargo. And of yes. course, that was her first Oscar. Yes. And, and I was going to say, like, for this character, she said, that's the first time I played a bimbo. And it's weird <laughs> because, like, I don't really think of Julie as a bimbo. I mean, she's an attorney. I don't really think she does anything. She's, she's pretty caring, actually. She still wants to be with Peyton, regardless I mean, of. God. She, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't call her a bimbo at all. I yeah. do think it's kind of weird that they do basically, you know, say it without saying it, that she ends up in a relationship with Strack yeah. after she's 100% sure that he's a criminal and she doesn't put two and two together to think that that's the reason why Peyton's lab just blew up. <laughs> right, you know? right. But, yeah. uh, so there's that. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, um, I also, did you see... There's a, apparently there's a rumor that while Darkman is being swung by the hook, the car that almost hits him is the Sam Raimi Delta. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You see it. And the rumor is that the Cohen brothers are the two guys driving the car. Driving it. Yeah. But yeah. apparently I've also read that if you pause it and look at the two guys driving, it looks nothing like the Cohen brothers. Oh, okay. okay. So I don't know if that was like. You know, an uh, urban legend. An yeah. urban legend. But, yeah. but it's fun to think about that, like, you have the Coen brothers who always, they, they're they some of the most eclectic filmmakers ever. Like, they dabble in, like, almost horror to musical comedy to westerns. You know, they won, they've won multiple Oscars for writing. They did Fargo, right? I'm not... Yes, of yes, course, yes, yes. They did Fargo. They did No, no Country, Country for Old Men, Men Raising Arizona, Brit, Miller's yeah. Crossing. Yeah, like they've done like every genre that's out there. Uh, yeah. They've done a movie in, and you know it, it's oh, of course. Oh God, if I didn't mention Lebowski, uh, somebody would have hit yeah. me up in the comments. Yes, my my dad loved. Um, what do you call it? Uh, oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? That was like one of my dad's favorite movies. Yeah. Sherry loved that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's cool that they are so close to Sam Raimi, or at least they were close to him at this point, and that's what brought them Francis McDormand. Um, you know, I've never seen the movie Blood Simple, but I think Sam Raimi has some connection to that movie, or he's involved in somehow in the filming of it. And I think there's like angles and stuff in that movie that are similar to angles that are in the evil dead and, and all of his things but you know we, we talked about kind of visually how it's similar to spider-man and how uh story-wise it's similar to robocop i think that one thing that's kind of interesting too is that there's this advanced tech in it, it it's it's this sort of 
older gothic kind of tragic story but then you have this kind of advanced tech for 1990 i mean he essentially has like a fucking 3d printer even though he's like printing flesh yeah. right and and the masks that he makes they're like the masks they use in mission impossible in the mission impossible movies yeah you know it, it's it, way ahead of its time and, and one of my favorite parts of the movie which is way ahead of its time too is when he eventually gets ambushed by all of durant's men the uh smiley is in his lab and he fights smiley but then smiley's left alone in there and there's the um the little bird that's going like this i forget what you call those with like the bird that like clicks back and forth a and it goes pet, like a pendulum bird that sounds right and uh you know it's gonna go hit the lighter and there's gas uh, streaming throughout the lab um and he goes over to get it and he finally makes it to it but then it's just a hologram and I, I just, I fucking, I thought that was so cool when I first saw that, you know? Yeah. So it, it's just interesting how, like, even though it's this gothic kind of thing that's, like, inspired by, like, the Invisible Man and the Hunchback from Notre Dame, it also has this, like, cool, you know, modern effects, too. So, I mean, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's really, really great. And it's just a real fucking treat to get to see it. What what else you got for Dark Man? I Love? mean, I, I just, yeah, I, it's the kind of movie that, I, I'll always have a thing for this movie. My dad would let me watch basically anything, but I think I've mentioned this before. For some reason, he had a Raimi block when he was oh. when I was a kid, mm. and I think it had to do with the Evil Dead Two box with like the skull on oh. it scaring me. Yeah, and yeah. so he wouldn't let me watch Evil Dead or Evil Dead Two, uh, and he wouldn't let me watch Darkman. And for years, this was like the movie that I would, this, it came out when we were eight years old. And this was like the movie I was begging. Like every time we were in the video store, come on, please. Dark man, dark man. No, not, not dark man. Anything else. The exorcist. Fine. What? Like, <laughs> how does that make sense? And eventually he caved in and I remember he loved this movie also. He thought it was so much fun. And I like I, I was just like I I have like the old fashioned like flip cover DVD. Yes. It has zero features on it because it's basically just a movie. Right, right, right. And I like it's just it's a great example of like I think you really did a great job tying in all the Spider Man stuff. Like Sam Raimi does get the credit that he deserves from the superhero community when people like talk about the mcu people always kind of go back to either you know x-men in 2000 or his spider-man especially one and two of course right in the very early 2000s and as basically proving that believe it or not superhero movies can make shit loads of money and be really good yes and everybody who watches those movies it's so obvious like if you watch dark man it's it's so obvious the connection from you know point a 1990 dark man to point b the spider-man movies and it's also so obvious that here's a guy who wanted to make a superhero movie and you know he wanted to do the shadow he couldn't they ended up making a shadow movie in the 90s, right? With Alec Baldwin, I think. Alec Baldwin, I, that's right, that's right. Yeah, I never saw that. Probably saw because... The... You, you never saw The Shadow with Alec Baldwin? No. That's interesting. Okay, did you ever see The Phantom? 
That's what I was going to say. I saw the Phantom, which I remember because it's Billy Zane in a very, very purple suit. Uh, yes, yes, yes. But I, I, I liked the Phantom. I thought it was a fun little, you know, I was like probably 13 when I saw it, but I liked it. It's not something I'm running out to watch again. But, right. I mean. That's the whole thing. So That's this Dark time Man period. Such a, yeah. Darkman just hit such a perfect sweet spot of like, you could totally see the horror director who did the Evil Dead movies. I mean, if you look at Evil Ash in Army of Darkness, like it's it looks like Darkman. Yeah, and right, right. You could totally right. see, you could totally see the the that like sense of humor with the graphic violence uh, of Evil Dead Two becoming a superhero, like going into the superhero genre and becoming dark man. Yeah. And you know, like, it's just, it, it's a, it's a perfect little movie. It, it, it goes so fast. There's no wasted motion in this movie. It's no, it just goes from like, boom, scene, boom, like Durant, like the, the helicopter crashes. And then the next scene He's there wearing the Durant mask. He shows up and they're going up to the top of the thing. And you're like, oh, so we're going from like one bad guy, you know, collision to the next bad guy collision. Uh, and that's also right after like the whole scene where he's taking out all the goons in the, the building. It's just, it's such a fast paced kick-ass movie. And I like, I feel like a movie like this, again, if it was made today, I feel like this would be, two hours and 10 minutes there'd be added cg where there didn't have to be and <clears throat> and you know there'd be a, a lot of you know probably 30 to 40 minutes of setup instead of like just 15 minutes yeah this movie is what it's an hour and 36 minutes and it, oh. it doesn't even feel that long it you... doesn't even feel that long it feels like it's 85 minutes yeah, yeah. It just zips by. Yep, yep. Yeah. They don't make movies like this anymore. They don't. You know? Yeah, I, I know. I know. We sound kind of like old men saying something like that, but yeah, this. Movie when I is, was young. <laughs> when I was a, it, it's it's from that time. It's that time of like the Rocketeer and the Phantom and the Shadow and uh, Dick Tracy. They're all these sort of like older uh, IPs trying to capture that Batman success, and I yeah. think this one is truly the one that is the most kind of like raw and uh, like exciting. The other ones are like visually cool, but this one is the most like violent and exciting Yeah, and, and, and like can hold its own against Batman. So yeah, I, I'm really, really glad that you, you know, it, it also, it also came out right in between or it came out of, two years after Die Hard and the same year as Die Hard 2. Oh. And there's a lot of, like, Die Hard style action in this movie. Agreed. You know, like, you know, you brought up The Rocketeer, and I think like, it's a perfect, like, The Rocketeer is a movie where dad and mom can take the kids and go enjoy, like, a nice action-adventure movie on the weekends. And then your older brother is going to take you without your parents knowing to see fucking dark man. Shit, yeah. And I think like that's the perfect 
And like, I love it. Like you just made me want to like find Dick Tracy and why I feel like some of these movies are so hard to find now also. Like, I, yeah, it wasn't streaming. I know it was on Shutter for a while, wasn't it? Wasn't Darkman on Shutter? It might have been. I mean, yeah, I had to pull out the old DVD. I told Charlotte because I, I watched this the other day, and I, I said there, I was like, look, I just watched this movie, but I fucking love it, and it's so good, and I want to watch it again. So if you want to watch it, let's go. <laughs> Hell yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah. It was it was really awesome to go back and watch this. I'm glad that we added this, even though it's like. Well, is it like Evil Dead? Well, no, but like it's made by Sam Raimi, and it just has that sort of that that fun. And we 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 only hinted at it, but it does have an amazing little Bruce Campbell cameo at the end. Yeah. Uh, uh, where he like runs away from Frances McDormand, tells her he you know she should go off live her life, and yeah. you know it, it's it's Liam Neeson doing the voiceover. I'm everyone and no one. Right. Call me. Dark man, and then he turns and it's fucking Bruce Campbell, and you're like, Yeah, let's go. Yes, yes. and that's so Spider Man, the original Spider Man, too, because it's like he can't be with Mary Jane, he has to be by himself. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah, um, I was gonna say that you know, we've covered Sam Raimi movies so far in our road to Evil Dead 3, and now that we're moving forward, I think we're gonna actually go over to a Bruce Campbell movie. And so, you and I were talking about doing Maniac Cop. But uh, did you want to tell people what else we were covering, too, this month? Uh, well, we uh, just posted our review of Yellow Jackets seasons. Uh, we, we have a season one recap. Right. And we uh, reviewed episodes one and two of season two. Uh, just went up on the channel on Sunday. Correct. And uh, we are going to be getting together every weekend, probably right. Saturday mornings, Right. Uh, to review the latest episodes of Yellow Jackets. So uh, if you like Yellow Jackets, tune into our channel. And if you liked Pete and Sherry's reviews on the Anchor Pete channel, uh, leave your comments for Sherry in the comments, and Pete will ask her and get her responses, and she'll like respond that. in the comments. Uh, That's good. You know, uh, because we actually had a comment on our last video asking where Sherry was. And you mentioned she had retired from YouTube, but I'm sure she's watching the show with you still. And oh, I'm absolutely. sure she has thoughts. Uh, and I'd love to actually hear some of her thoughts too, because I, I, Athena doesn't watch it with me. She only watched the first two episodes. So I'd really love to hear like a woman's point of view on it. Oh, uh, yeah. She, she so, loved that last episode. And that last episode was a lot of fun to talk about with you. So yeah. if this season, the rest of the season is going to be like episode two, oh boy, I'm on board. You know? <laughs> so yeah, we're we're covering Yellow Jackets. We are marching towards Evil Dead, uh, Evil Dead Rise. We have reviews of Scream Six. We have reviews of uh, Drag Me to Hell, Evil Dead 2013. Uh, we I have a bunch of YouTube shorts where I just find random horror movies uh, on my streaming services and I watch them. I'm going to Nighthawk Cinema later tonight for a screening of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2. So <laughs> lick my plate, you dog dicks. And I will probably... You never saw t Texas Chainsaw 2, did you? No. Uh, that's a that's a famous uh, ch Bill Bill Mosley line in the okay, movie. Okay, yeah. okay. I wasn't, I've I wasn't only... threatening the audience. <laughs> I've, I've only seen the original Texas Chainsaw, and I've seen it multiple times, but I've never seen 
any of the sequels or the remake. Uh, or, or so, so here's how you watch the Texas T Chainsaw franchise. Okay. You watch part one, then you have a few drinks, and you watch part two, and then you pretend that there are no other Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies ever made. Okay. Uh, Sounds pretty easy. Toby, I can do that. Toby Hooper directs the first two. You cannot ask for two more different movies. The visceral terror of the first movie and then part two it's almost like evil dead 2 and evil dead where you right. have this like guttural visceral gory fucking horror movie and then part two is horror but also slapstick <laughs> and it's absolutely bizarre you have an amazing bill mosley performance caroline williams fucking great i can't wait to watch it again tonight in theaters so i'll probably do a short review of that nice. uh coming up on the channel tomorrow nice. but uh, yeah uh aside from that i think we're good yeah man thanks for all the plug-in as you guys can see danny puts out a lot of content and together we always make at least one video per week together as well so if you like me and danny make sure that you're subscribed to the lasser cast and we're going to continue our march to evil dead rise with next week's maniac cop see y'all